Hey Thrivers, welcome to the Thrive Student Ministry Podcast. Thrive is an MBSF college ministry on the campus of the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. At Thrive, we empower students to engage in their relationship with Christ through mentorship, friendship, and the discovery of their purpose. For more information on our gathering times, including our events, small groups, and weekly worship, visit us at thriveuark.com or follow us on social medias at thriveuark. This week, we're excited to kick off our fall semester as our assistant director, Dom Hackman, opens up our series on the life of Peter. Our scripture for tonight will come from Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. We hope you enjoy the message. This year, our, our theme for the year has always been to explore, to explore God's purpose for your life, whatever that is. You know, many of you, you guys are here for the first time, and you're, you guys are freshmen maybe, and you guys are stepping out and embarking on this new chapter here in Fayetteville. I know for me, when I, when I first got up here, I, I came from Houston, so coming from Houston to Fayetteville was a little bit of a culture shock, uh, even with that, but there's this idea in, with exploration that we're taking a step out into new territory where we haven't been before, and so I'm excited to, just, to look at what that looks like, but the question I want to open up with for you guys tonight that's really going to lay the foundation as to where we're going tonight is, what is your why? What is your motivation? You know, if, if you're coming up here and this is your first time here, you probably came up here to study a certain degree. Maybe you came up here because a brother or sister came up here or because they had a really good program or a good ministry up here that you wanted to get plugged into, but everybody has a why. And what I know is, and what I think you probably you'll, many of you guys know too, is what you believe inherently about yourself and then what you believe in a broad sense is going to birth your actions. Belief births actions. And so through this series that we're kind of going to go through, we're going to walk through the life of Peter and kind of the, the steps that he took, the stumbles that he made along his journey of faith and how he ultimately helped fulfill the vision placed on his life by God through the Great Commission. And so tonight specifically, we're going to look at Peter's circumstance, Peter's decisions, and Peter's actions. And so if you will, turn with me to Luke 5. We'll be starting in verse 1. I'll give you a second to get there. And Luke says this, he says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left, left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So was set in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let, your, let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We have worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout to, for help brought their partners in, in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. 
For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And I really love that depiction. And even more, I mean, I know it was loud and this is a small room, but that clip, if you haven't seen that show, it's called The Chosen. And it's a, it's a show that kind of depicts the life of Christ. But I really love the imagery that they use there to describe the emotions that Peter was feeling in that moment. Uh, the way he reacted, almost smugly looking, at, looking back at Jesus like, come on, we've been doing this all night. And Jesus like, well, are you going to do it or not? And he goes and does it. And then automatically these fish start to fill these boats. But it's funny, I don't know if you've ever done like an Enneagram test or anything like that where you kind of have a parallel or a comparison of who you are uh, to like a biblical character or something like that. Like a lot of times people are like, oh, I want to be like Paul because he was such a great missionary. Or I want to be like David when he gets to, at least when he gets to defeat the Goliath or Jonah, if you really just want to know what being on the inside of a fish is like. But I think one thing that we can all identify with is Peter. Some part of Peter's story where he is walking with God, he admits and, and sees the smallness of him comparatively to Almighty Jesus. And then the, the walk and steps he takes along his journey of faith, and ultimately how he fulfills the Great Commission uh, later on through the book of Acts. But it's interesting, someone else who I really think can identify with Peter in those same ways, if you are a Harry Potter fan, you'll know who this is, but J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter saga, uh, before she really like, got involved and blew up because of her series and her writings of those books, before they were movies and translated into 73 different languages and made millions of dollars because of the movies, before she was there, um, she, she like, went into an interview after the fact, in hindsight, and this is what she said. She said, by every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. And this is the case for a lot of writers. A lot of times it takes a while. It's not just, hey, I'm going to sit down in front of my Mac and I'm going to type this and then we're good. A lot of times writers either hit writing block or they really struggle to get their foot in the door with a publisher. But it was more than that for her because for her, she struggled with having a job um, right as she was kind of coming to this realization of, hey, this, this series that I could write in Harry Potter was something that she was passionate about, right as she started to step into that, she lost her mother. And pretty soon after that, uh, she was married and then quickly in the midst of that marriage, uh, fell quickly in and out of love. And so there was a divorce and all of a sudden she had a kid that she was taking care of. She had just accepted a job in Portugal to teach English which didn't work out either. And so she was sitting at home with this child, a single mother, living on unemployment, right? And this is the thing that marked her. She said, I am the biggest failure. And then when she finally had time to write down, write down these, this, these incredible stories that we see in the books of Harry Potter, she went through a series of uh, rejections, at least a dozen, if not more before she finally met the editors at uh, Bloomberry Publishing Company. And really it was more than that. It wasn't just Bloomberry, but it was actually when the editor from Bloomberry got the manuscript for her book, The Sorcerer's Stone, the first one. It wasn't him that really grabbed a hold of this awesome story that she had written. It was his eight-year-old daughter. His eight-year-old daughter, they began to read it at night, and it was something that she was like, I want to finish the whole thing. 
And Harry Potter, I mean, you might you might be a fan. You're either it's one of those things. You're either a really big fan or you're not at all. But to me, it's cool because J.K. Rowling is not a professed Christian. But in the end, what happens is Harry. I hope I don't spoil this. Lane's not here, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> but you know, in the end, Harry gives up his life for the betterment of all the people around him, and eventually, he's the one that conquers over the evil in Lord Voldemort. But the reason I bring that story up and what's fascinating in, in between Peter and J.K. Rowling is this idea that who we encounter has the, has the ability to change the trajectory of your life or others. I'll say that again. Who we encounter has the ability to change the trajectory of our lives or others. And such is the case along the whole biblical narrative, especially with Jesus, because there are many people who came to Jesus begging to be healed, and they walked away with either being healed or something that they didn't have before, and that being trust in Christ. And others, there are people who walked away disappointed because of the magnitude of which Christ was asking them to give up, and they couldn't do it. They didn't feel like, that's too much, I can't go there, right? Well, the Pharisees who walked up to Jesus angry, trying to, you know, sow sow some sort of hypocrisy, something against him that he'd done wrong. And they walk away angry and disappointed. But the base for the night really is, with this encounter with Jesus, before we really dive deeper into this passage, is have you had that kind of encounter with Jesus? And if you haven't, the best way that I can compare it to is, I visited the Grand Canyon when I was, uh, after I graduated high school, and you know, when you step out on the rim of the canyon and you're looking out into the vast uh, pit, like canyon of nature, you realize just how small you are in comparison to the vast canyon and the vast beauty of God's creation. And that's the, the best really physical interpretation of how I can articulate what it looks like to encounter Jesus in such a way like Peter does here. But for me, that happened in college when I had a really bad falling out with my friend group. And immediately, I met one of my friends. One of, he was actually a groomsman in my wedding. His name was Will. He's up here. Uh, he was somebody who really helped in bring me in to know the love of Christ and to share the gospel with me. And without him, I wouldn't be here. And once I was here, I, I got to meet Jack and a few other students that were here. And they took the time to not only love on me, but to share the gospel with me. And so that kind of impact for you is something that is so important for us to understand and to embrace. Because the question that I have for you is, have you ever thought about how someone's encounter with you could vastly change their life? And secondarily, how, and who, how will you embrace your, compa- your capacity for impact, right? Because if one person can be the difference between them hearing the gospel and not, why would we look over the opportunities in that, uh, whether it's in our classes or whether it's in our jobs or whether it's in our dormitories, there are so many opportunities there for us to share and know and love people like Jesus if we will only look for them, right? And what's interesting about this passage of Peter is, you know, Jesus is walking down the, the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching these crowds. You know, in fact, he kind of, kind of tried to get away from these crowds, but they still found, found a way to find him. And so he's teaching, and he, he encounters Peter in this moment and asks him if he can teach from his boat. But what's interesting is 
Peter already knew who Jesus was. This was something that like, I, I really t- took some time to study and make sure that I understood it as best I could because it's something that I really, if, you, if you're not careful, this is something you can run past pretty easily because by this point in time, Jesus had already been on the scene for about a year. You know, most historians and scholars who study the Bible would argue that the wedding at Cana, you know, Jesus interacting with Nicodemus, Jesus and the Samarian woman, Jesus healing many of the demonics, and Jesus even initially meeting Philip, Nathaniel, um, Peter, and Andrew, that had all already happened in this first year, that he was kind of on the scene and doing ministry and teaching about um, the kingdom of God. And so what we know about uh, Peter is he, he met him in John 1. If you, if you go and look in John 1, that's where he initially met Jesus. And so Peter, from this point, from this year, it wasn't this, I'm following you already. It was this passive following of Jesus. And I think many of us can relate to that kind of following of Jesus. But what I want, want to tell you is that too many of us want following Jesus to be easy, right? This attitude that we see from Peter at the very beginning throughout this first year before he has this encounter with him at the Sea of Galilee is one that is rooted in consumerism, not in giving and devoting his life to Jesus, to Lord Jesus, right? Because at this point, like, we think about what, what Jesus is going to do, and he, you think about the centurion servant who he heals, the healing of the paralytic, the healing of the widow's daughters. Those people, when they are healed, they fall at the feet of Jesus in faith, Right? But at this point, Jesus has already healed his mother-in-law. And you think about the fact that that wasn't enough for Peter. And so he needs this, this extra encounter with Jesus almost even for him to really understand how small he is and how great Jesus is, right? This idea that a passive following of Jesus is not enough, right? And in, in you guys' college career, you guys are going to have an opportunity to decide, really, and this is language that we use over and over again because we believe that it's true, is that now you guys have an opportunity to invest in the things that you actually want to invest in, to follow and to participate in the things that you actually want to do. For me, that was rooted in disc golf, right, Ethan? Especially my sophomore year. I was running around playing tournaments all over the place. I was running around and playing tournaments in Texas and Kansas and different states and stuff like that. And there came to a point in time where I had to decide, hey, am I going to continue to pursue this hobby that's super fun and good, don't get me wrong, or am I going to choose to invest in the community of believers who are going to push me to be more and more like Jesus? And you guys are going to have an opportunity, especially if you've never been here before, to make those kinds of decisions. Because there are going to be functions that happen on Thursday night. There are going to be people that invite you to parties. There are going to be different stuff that goes on, whether it's with our ministry or whatever other groups that you guys are involved in. You're going to have an opportunity to choose. And you're going to be forced to make a decision on how you are going to prioritize your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with other believers. But as we continue, and he presses on into Peter and, and, and asks to use his boat, the thing that he, he does is he, he asks if Peter will push out his boat into the water. And here we see Peter's first act of obedience. The one that we really catch on to is him when he, after the miracle occurs and he falls on his knees and, and says, depart from me from a sinner. That's the big act of obedience, that and dropping the nets. We, we really latch onto those. But really, there are three main acts of obedience that Peter falls into here. And they're all equally important. 
And this first one of allowing him to teach from his boat. Maybe he felt like he owed Jesus one for healing his mother-in-law. I don't know. I'd probably feel a little bit that way of like, hey, you know, I just got done fishing all night, but I, you healed my mother-in-law. I owe you. I guess you can use my boat. Um, but the reasoning there, or the thing that's important for us to grasp there is, is an encounter with Jesus demands our response. And this is funny. This is going to be kind of an a <laughs> open confession, I guess I'll say, because there's a difference between what Peter already knew. He knew about who Jesus was. He knew about what Jesus was already doing. And there's a difference between thinking you know God or knowing Jesus and Jesus asking you to do something, right? And so it's really interesting because I remember Jack and Karen, they went with their family to Orlando to Disney World. If you want to throw that picture up there, Ty. They went to Disney World, and so we were entrusted with the care of this fish right here. His name is um, Steve Rogers. Uh, he belongs to this little boy. His name is Grayson. He's Jack's youngest son. Uh, one of our ex-college students, uh, she's now one of our seniors on the worship team at Pathway, she gives him a fish every year. Uh, for his birthday. So last year, he was really into Paw Patrol. He named the, the fish Marshall. This year, he's really into Captain America. He named him Steve Rogers. Well, Jack asked us to care for this fish. And we knew at that point in time that, you know, this fish is something that's important to Grayson. Um, and so we, we went to take care of the fish. Um, Jack doesn't know this, so just so you know, this is, this is when I say this is a moment of confession. This is a moment of confession between me and Jack right here. But they leave. They're gone for a couple weeks. Or not really a couple weeks, a week maybe. Um, but, you know, we're, we're told you just need to feed them a little bit every day, which maybe didn't happen every day. Um, I will say the caveat here is we were not told that the fish tank needed to be cleaned and it probably would have benefited from being cleaned. Uh, we tried to, uh, but what I will say and what I will confess is by the time we realized that the fish tank needed to be cleaned, uh, Steve Rogers was dead. <laughs> and so in that moment, knowing that this fish was important to this cute little boy, we had a decision to make because we had been asked to do something. And we encountered a situation where we needed to make a quick decision. And so Allison goes the next day. Actually, it wasn't the next day. It was a few days after because we cleaned the fish tank. We were like, we're going get to get a new fish as soon, like right before they come back, as not to kill a second fish before they get back, right? Who would have thought that a 24-year-old can figure out how to take care of a fish? But, you know, so Allison freaks out because she goes to the store and can't find the same kind of fish. And we're like, oh, where's the other pet store in Fayetteville? Luckily, she found Steve Rogers, who, if you've seen the Marvel movies, uh, they think his name is Steve Rogers. Allison and I tend to call him, um, what did we say? Sam Wilson? Yeah, that makes some sense, doesn't it? Um, and so this, Jack, your fish's name is Sam Wilson, not Steve Rogers, because I'm sorry, but we killed your son's fish. <laughs> but the reason I say that... <laughs> The reason I even bring that moment up, uh, well, the first is really because I've been, it's been killing me. And I really wanted to confess this to my boss. But really, the reason I bring that up is how we respond to an encounter, how do we respond to something being asked of us determines if we will fulfill the potential that Christ sees in us and has called us to. Right? In this moment, Peter has an opportunity. Uh, he's already seen Jesus' work. He has an opportunity to either be obedient 
and to recognize the power of God here, where is it an opportunity to say no, right? And to be frank, this would have been easy for Peter, right? If, if you look really closely at the, the text, he's already, like, Peter is already trying to clean up and get out of there, right? He's been there all night, and he's washing his nets, right? So he's already done, not to mention the fact that probably no one would have been fishing in the middle of the day like Jesus is going to ask him to do really right here. But the, th- the thing that I want you to grasp onto is that Jesus is going to challenge what you put your faith in. He's going to challenge your sense of self-identity and who you think you are, right? <coughs> Peter, by all accounts right here, he's the pro fisherman. He's the, you know, the guy, you know, doing the Bass Pro stuff and doing all these contests. This is his living, right? And then the, the teacher, the rabbi, is coming up and saying, hey, you know, you should probably drop your nets again. It would be like the Little League World Series going on right now, showing up to a game because they win the Little World Series and they get to go to a major league game, and him pulling Mike Trout aside and say, hey, have you tried putting your glove on your other hand? Or something like that. Something ridiculous. You know, this is probably pretty close to the sense that Peter might have felt in this moment. Because you see, he says, Master, we've been out here all night and we've caught nothing. Right? Um, A study group, the Barna study group, did something about, did a study on, you know, what really drives us as Americans and our our sense of identity and what we really put our solace in when it comes to self-identity. And what they found is really interesting. The top three, I guess really the top seven here, but the top three that we're going to really look at is, you know, your sense of family really drives who you think you are, as well as being an American, number two. The third is my religious faith. Right? But the study said this about, about why those rankings are the way they are. Uh, they said, while religious faith squeaks into the top three, there's a sharp drop from the first two factors in the number of Americans who say their faith is a major part of their identity. A majority of Americans agree that their family and country are central aspects of who they are, but fewer than two out of five adults say their religious faith makes up uh, a lot of their potential personal identity. About the same proportion of adults give little to no credence to the idea that faith is part of their identity. 18% say faith doesn't make up much of their identity at all, and one in five say it doesn't affect their, their sense of identity at all. I found that really interesting, that one in five people you know, that took, partook in this study said that my faith, or Jesus Christ, you know, this isn't even, this is religious faith, the broad sense, not even Christianity, right? But one in five of those people say, hey, I don't care at all about Jesus, about faith, right? But the question I have for you guys is, what characteristics do you want to mark you, right? Because all of you at this point in time, you guys are trying to build a rapport of, you know, build a library of things that, you know, really can I be used to identify you or really used to describe you? You know, Ethan might be described as a disc golfer now. Not a pro disc golfer, but a disc golfer. Um, <laughs> you know, um, Allison, my wife, might be categorized as a piano player, you know. But for you guys, what is it? What is the thing that you want to mark you? What is the, the first thing that you want to mark you? Is it really in your heart of hearts? Is it your relationship with God or not? It might be your major. It might be your relationship. I don't know. 
But the challenge that I want you to embark on is, if Jesus isn't your number one priority, why not? The answer to that is, I believe in the word of God. But as we continue here, he says, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, we'll let down the nets again. And obviously we know what happens here. But this is what I would say, his if you say so moment, you know. This is the third part of Simon's obedience because the first is allowing him to use the boat and taking it out. The second part is him taking the boat out deeper and now he's being asked to drop his net. Um, there are a few illustrations I could use, but to be honest, I'm not much of a Princess Bride fan. Um, but <laughs> an if you say so moment is important here because what Peter demonstrates here is his faith and trust in Jesus. Although he doesn't really have a full conceptualization of the magnitude of who Jesus is, he does understand Jesus' divine authority of God working in and through him, right? And the thing that I want to instill with you here is, again, Peter is the pro-fisherman. Jesus is the teacher. And we see this uh, in, in our culture, especially, where you, you would turn 18 and you say, hey, you're out of the nest. Go be independent. Be financially dependent, be emotionally dependent, unless you, you know, get married and have a partner and all that kind of stuff, and be as autonomous as you possibly can be. But we see here with Peter what we would say, hey, it's good, you're, you're a fisherman, that's what you're doing with your life. It shifts from independence to dependence on who Jesus says he is and on what Jesus has asked him to do. And for us, that's really important because we need to have that kind of sense of dependence on Jesus. And the result of that dependence is this miracle of this vast catch of fish. You know, a miracle is uh, kind of in twofold, is it's to meet a human need and to show God's glory and power, right? And if Peter isn't dependent in this situation, he doesn't get to be a part of what's happening here. And the thing that I wanna hammer home here is that Jesus must direct our work, right? It's something that I, I know that Jack and I have prayed over a lot this summer because for me, a part of, you guys might not know this, but a part of our job is during the summers we'll travel across the state and maybe other states if we have connections there, but we'll travel and raise funds and ask churches to contribute to our budget to help us keep the lights on, you know, for you guys to live here and all that kind of stuff as well is pay our salaries. And the thing that I know we prayed oh, time and time again this summer um, last summer was the first time that I had to do that. But of course, with COVID being as high as it was at that point in time, no churches were open. So we couldn't go and do anything. And this summer, the prayer that we said is, we know that God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. If we will allow Jesus to direct our work, right? The ironic thing here too is that in catching here, he's, he's you know, Jesus is beating Peter at his own game. Right, uh, for, for Peter, he would have been catching to eat and to kill and for his livelihood, where Jesus is not catching to kill and eat, but to save and feed. Right? And that's such a cool illustration of the difference between uh, Peter's approach and what Jesus' approach is. Right? And so next, we see Peter's most crucial response to what Jesus has done in this encounter with him. And it's where he says this. He says, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck with the number of fish they had caught. 
It's, it's funny that, you know, this is the most exhaustive, um, you know, dialogue or narrative of Jesus calling the first disciples. But it's interesting that James and John are really only mentioned once and Andrew isn't mentioned at all. But what is true in, in this is that with, with um, this narrative of calling the first disciples, Peter might be the focal point of this encounter. But encountering Jesus in this way always has an effect on others. And we see that with James and John, and we know that of Andrew. But this encounter in particular here, where Peter is confessing, um, at this point, an abstract view of sin, because it's not, he, he's not necessarily confessing over a specific sin. He's just understanding his smallness and meekness compared to Jesus. Right? And he is confessing his sin. But it's something that we see over and over in, in Scripture. We see it in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah encounters God, and we see it in, in Moses in Exodus 3, when Moses encounters God. We even see it in, in um, Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve, they hide out of the shame of their sin, right? But the, the point, honestly, if, this, this, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, this is the thing that I want to grasp, I want you to grasp onto, is that you have a God in Jesus whose grace is powerful enough to save you, but whose heart is compassionate enough to want to save you, right? And here, that is what Peter realizes in this encounter with Jesus is, man, I'm small, I'm meek compared to this God-man in Jesus Christ. But if I will depend on him, if I will, will follow him, you know, I will get to play a part in the vision and the mission that he's going to call us to, right? And so, this last part of this verse where it says, don't, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And they, when they land, they drop everything and follow him. What I love about this is him calling the first disciples here. And what we see in Matthew 28, when he gives the Great Commission, they're almost mere images of each other. Right? Because he's asking them to follow in his teaching. He's asking him to follow Jesus and to go and fish for other people. And right, this, this, this idea of fishing for other people comes from the Greek word zogron, which means to capture alive or to trap. Right? And really, that's the idea of what Jesus is doing is not to catch, to kill and eat, but to feed and um, to keep alive, essentially. And so in Matthew 28, we see this, this idea of going to share the gospel. And here we see the initial call and the initial vision and purpose that Jesus is putting on their life. But in Matthew 28, the way that they put it, the Greek really is not a, the conception that we have for it is that you drop everything and you go, right? But that's not really what that means. It's really an as you go, right? And so for you guys, whether that's that's with your major, or whether that's with band, or in Longview, or whatever you decide to do with your life. What are you gonna do, and how are you gonna follow Jesus? Are you going to embrace the mission that Christ has called and placed on your life as you go and do it? Or are you going to seek after the things that you wanna seek after instead? Because really, the question that I wanna ask you is what is your nets down moment? What is Christ asking you to do in this season of your life that you, you feel the conviction of, I need to follow? 
and I need to be obedient. Because what I want to tell you is that you can never under, uh, underestimate what God can do through some, some small act of obedience. Never underestimate what God can do in one single act of obedience. Right? Because Peter, to this point, had had many opportunities to be obedient and to follow Jesus. And for some reason, this is the one that rang true. And for you guys, I know that you're going to have ample opportunities to share God's word. You're going to have ample opportunities to love on other people. You just have to say yes, right? And so I'm going to invite the worship team back up here, but I want to share one more story with you. If Justin, you want to come get this from me also. But I remember um, when I was, I guess, a junior in college, I went to intern at a church in Indiana. And before we went, we went home to Allison's uh, home in Rowlett. And because we were in Rowlett near Dallas, we had the opportunity to go and, and like be a part of the porch, which if you don't know the porch, it's a, it's a young adult ministry. Um, and they share the gospel there. It's, it, it's a really, it has a really big following. Well, we didn't know this, but Ben Stewart, who's a pastor at Passion City Church in Washington, D.C., was speaking that night. And he was somebody who I really looked up to at that time. I really enjoyed listening to his teaching. But he shared about this guy who I later was able to go and study a little bit about, but his name is James Pat Patton. James Patton was a missionary in the 1800s. Um, and, he, and he went and served for 49 years uh, off these islands near what, what is called New Hebrides, right? New Hebrides and the other surrounding islands that he was with, um, they were infested. All, all these people who lived on these islands were cannibals, right? And so when he would go to these islands, he, and, he was in a very, very dangerous situation where people were following him with muskets. He was having to hide and sleep in trees. Even there's a story that says, one morning at daybreak, I found my house surrounded by armed men and a chief in, in, intimidated that, that they had assembled to take my life. Seeing that I was entirely in their hands, I knelt down and gave my, myself away, body and soul, to Lord Jesus. For he had seen Seemed that last time on earth. Rising, I went out and began calmly talking about their unkind treatment of me and contrasting it with all my contact towards them. At last, some chiefs who had attended the worship rose and said, our conduct has been bad. Now we will fight for you and kill those who hate you. Which James Patton's response was, uh, not really what I meant, but I guess that's a start. But it was these dangerous situations that he was continually putting himself into, right? And ultimately, he saw an entire island and Aniwa come to follow and know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And this is all because his default answer when he was asked to do something, when his default answer when God had charged him with a conviction was to say yes, right? One of his good friends his name was Dixon, but Mr. Dixon came to him and was like, cannibals, cannibals, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. You can't go. And his response was this, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals 
or by worms. In the day of my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. What I want you guys to understand is obviously we're not in a field of cannibals, although that would be kind of entertaining, maybe. But you guys, you guys have been given and tasked and commissioned the very same mission that John Patton was. And what I'm asking you and pleading with you is over this first, this first year for many of you, and maybe your second year or third year or last year for some, that your answer when Jesus comes knocking at your door and saying, will you go here? Will you love this person? Will you share the gospel in your class here? Or show up to, to love on somebody, whether it's here in this building on a Wednesday night or someone getting coffee in the union? Will your answer be yes, right? Because if, I want you guys to just imagine how this city would be different if our answer was yes. And so I'm asking you to never underestimate how an encounter can change someone's life. I'm pleading with you to embrace the conviction and to respond to the calling that Jesus has, has placed on your life as we begin this school year. Because I know that if you embrace that vision of being a disciple maker, I know that if you embrace the idea of sharing Jesus with others, our campus, your world, your social groups, your classes, they can be different, right? That one in five people, one in five say that Jesus religion has no role in their life, right? And my life was vastly changed here on this campus because someone said yes. And I know the same thing can be true for you guys if you will just act in obedience and respond to the calling that Christ has put on your life, right? Because we have the greatest story, the greatest savior on this planet. And he has the ability to change everything for a person, their eternity. And he wants to use us. He doesn't have to, but he wants to. And so my hope and my prayer is that this year you guys would embrace that challenge. And as we stand up to worship, I, I hope that you guys will understand and know what is the height and the depth, the width of God's love, right? Because you can share that with others. Just imagine the impact that you can have on somebody's life. Yes, Stan, I'll pray for you.